For as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, somebody say all things, all things work together for good in them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. Now drop down to verse number 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for your spirit and your presence. God, I thank you for a holy reverence in this room. God, I feel such a strong anointing upon this word. Your angels are around us, God, and we thank you so much. God, I thank you for the atmosphere of worship that has been set in this place. But God has been set for the preaching of the word. And God, I pray that you would have your way. Let us, each of us learn something from this word and apply it to our life. Let us not only be challenged, Father, but I ask God that we will be changed by the word. Take us to a new dimension as a people of God. Take us to a new level, Father. And unto you, God, be all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise, Father. In Jesus' mighty name and the church says amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today I want to talk about this subject, the intercession of heaven. The intercession of heaven. We're going to talk about prayer and intercession. And we're going to talk about what's really going on in heaven today. How many like to talk about heaven today? Amen. How many have loved ones that's in heaven that you know with peace in your heart, they're in heaven? Amen. We're going to talk about what they're doing right now. Amen. And this word, it just flows into that. But we're going to lay a foundation before we get there. What is the spirit of intercession? Better yet, what is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. It is one-on-one with God. It's not just you talking to God and treating him like Santa Claus with a big wish list full of needs that you have. It is a communication with God, our Father. It is talking to him, but it is him talking back to us through his word, maybe through an audible voice, maybe through another person, maybe through things happening. But either way, God speaks to us. Amen. And that's what prayer is. In fact, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus raised the dead. He opened blinded eyes. He unlocked deaf ears. He made the dumb to talk and the lame to walk. But what touched his disciples more than anything Elder Curtis is his prayer life. Lord, teach us to pray. 
We want to know how to pray like you pray. There's something about prayer that grasps the throne of God. It's about communication. The best definition that I can find about prayer in Scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says that Hannah began to pray and poured out her soul unto God. What is your soul? Our pastors talked about it. It's our mind, will, and emotion. It's pouring out everything that is inside of us to God, and it gets his attention. Laying everything out there on the table to get a hold of the presence of God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, To seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto us. God wants his people to pray. Prayer is that subject we talk a lot about and do so little of. We limit it to a Sunday night corporate prayer meeting, and we think that's the only time to pray. Maybe an altar call that a preacher gives on a Sunday morning, that's our time to pray. Maybe it's uh, five minutes before we go to bed. Maybe it's a minute before we eat a meal. But one way or the other, we have, we have just limited our prayer life, and that's why we have a limited move of God in this hour. But I do believe Jesus is coming back, Pastor, and I believe he's coming back for a praying church. He said, watch and pray, watch and pray. I believe we are to be a praying church. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, God gives us a command. He said, pray without ceasing. What's that mean? That means pray without an intermission. I mean, he's ever been to a ball game and you have intermission at halftime or been to a concert and there's an inter- intermission halfway through. That's what that word means, without ceasing. It means without an intermission. No breaks. No, no, no. We don't have time to take breaks, you see. You see, Jews pray three times a day. Muslims pray five times a day. The church is called to never stop praying. No, we, we've limited that to pray when we have a need, when we get a bad doctor's report, when we get a bad phone call, when something's going on next week. No, no. He said, pray without ceasing. Meditate upon his word. Keep your mind on Jesus. Amen. Keep your mind upon the Father. Keep your heart and your words centered upon praises to our God so that his glory comes down and God then can meet your need and your situation. Amen. He said in Jude 1 and 20, chapter 1 verse 20 he said pray in the Holy Spirit we're to be led by the Spirit in our prayer life we're to always be communicating with God and here's the thing and I'm talking about intercession this morning because see there's different types of prayer there's different ways to pray you can have a prayer of thanksgiving you can have a prayer of petition you can have different there's different ways of praying but what really gets the heart of God is a prayer of intercession but the only way that you can get to inter- and see intercession is not limited to a prayer team Amen. Everybody's called to intercede. Everybody's called to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. That's what intercession means. Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 22, verse 30, says, God said, I'm searching the land. I'm looking for a people who will stand in the gap, who will be that middle person, who will be that mediator. See, intercession is not about you getting your need met. When you start caring more about the needs of other people, then his spirit will guide and lead your prayer life. Who will make up the hedge. That means build a wall. See, God is raising up and he's calling intercessors to be the middle people to reach the lost for the kingdom of God and pray people in, but also cover regions. Amen. Because intercession will change a region for the glory of God. Intercession. Again, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is the Lord's prayer. Jesus responded, said, after this manner, pray. Now, he didn't say this is the only prayer that you pray. See, we, we've almost memorized this prayer, and we don't even know what it means. 
Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, you think that's just a prayer before a ball game or a prayer. No, no, no. Jesus was saying, if you will follow this format, heaven will come down. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, first of all, you got to know who God is. He's your Father. Second of all, he said, you got to worship him. And then he goes to intercession because worship will always precede intercession. Let me say that again. Worship will always precede intercession. That means it will always come before it. That means before you ask God for anything, and intercession, again, it's not about your needs getting met. It's about standing in the gap and praying for something or somebody else. But before you ever get there, it first starts with worship. If you can't worship, you'll never be able to intercede. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. So here you go. Before you ever ask for your needs to be met and God to meet that need, you first got to worship. Then you've got to intercede. And then you pray for your needs. Hallelujah. Is that okay? If our worship and our intercession aligns with the worship and the intercession of heaven, then heaven will come down to earth. Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. But see, we, we take that Lord's Prayer and we think, man, that's a memorized prayer. Okay. It, 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 you know, it's no different than you going to Walmart and buying a birthday card for somebody. Uh, you know what? I don't buy my wife birthday cards. I write my birthday cards. And I, you, no, it's not no I moment. I'm going to preach, okay? Because here's the thing. I write poems. I write words. I write things because I don't need to buy someone else's word for my wife. Anybody can go to Walmart for five minutes, go find a birthday card, and have some Hallmark and get it in there. Amen. But when you say, let me do something from the heart, it may not even rhyme. Some of it may sound crazy to you. But it's from your heart. See, that's what the Lord's prayer has become to so many people. It's become a Hallmark card. Oh, I just memorized it. It's something that Jesus said. It's already no. When you start praying this revelation from your heart that he is your father and you begin to worship him with your own words, with your not living off the worship of music, not living off the worship of Sunday morning, amen, not living off the worship of a Wednesday night church service, but God, you are holy. You are worthy. You are my God. You are, that is the kind of worship that brings heaven down to earth, not someone else's revelation of God, but my own experience, my own encounter, my own revelation. If I want to stand in the gap and intercede, I first got to worship. I first got to worship God. First got to worship God. Hallelujah. Then we'll get to intercession. Then we'll get to praying the will of the Father because your flesh doesn't know the will of the Father. First John chapter 5, verses 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, well, so we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Okay, we take that scripture, we take scriptures like when Jesus said, If you ask anything in my name, he'll give it to you. We'll take those scriptures and we'll twist and think, Man, I want to get a new car in Jesus' name. Oh, I'm going to get a 
a raise in my pay. And we, we, we want to be blessed, and that's okay. But he said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight yourself in God, material things will be the last thing on your mind. His presence will be what you want. Uh, his gifts will be what you want. His spirit will be what you want. His glory will be what you want. He said, delight yourself in the Lord. When you pray according to his will, he hears you. See, a lot of times we're praying out of the flesh rather than out of the spirit. And we're not getting needs met because it's about self-centered wants and needs. He said, no, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That taking up of your cross is a prophecy that you're going to be dying on that cross. Oh, hallelujah. Dying to the flesh, saying, God, I want to be led. I want to walk. I want to move. I want to breathe by the Spirit of God. We got to live by the Spirit, church. We got to live by the Spirit. And here's the thing, though. There are wrong ways to pray. There are wrong ways to pray. James chapter 4, verse 3. He said, the reason why you will not receive anything is because you ask amiss. You ask wrongly. That's what that means. You ask the wrong way because you want to consume it upon your own lust. Because you're not praying out of your spirit. You're just, oh, you, you, you want to be able to preach because you want to be seen in front of everybody. You want to sing because you want everybody to look at you. You're not doing it out of worship. You're not doing it out of obedience. It's to be seen and to be known. God will never bless that. God will never honor that. You ask amiss because your heart's not in the right place. He even said, Jesus said, before he even spoke the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 5 through 8, he talks about how the Pharisees pray. Wrong way to pray. They're religious. They, they, they go to the synagogue, but they still pray the wrong way because they go on the public, public corner. Pray these long prayers to be seen of men. He said, you use vain repetitions. Now, don't be under condemnation when I say this. But, you know, if I talk to somebody, okay, some people talk to God and they call God like Father God like 3,000 times in a minute. You know what I'm saying? Or as Jesus, they call on and say his name. You know, if I talk to Bo or talk to any of you guys, say, hey, Bo, what are you doing, Bo? What's going on, Bo? Hey, Bo, hey, Bo, hey, I like your shoes, Bo. Your jeans are nice, Bo. Um, your beard, shave it, Bo. Um, <laughs> you, know, if I, you know, if I'm doing that, I'm going to annoy him to death. <laughs> Oh, amen, I've heard from you. (laughs) Okay, what if you talk to God like that? Hey, God, I need a healing, God. I need you to touch me, God. Hey, God, 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 where are you, God? I need you, God. Hey, God, praise God. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, God. You know, that doesn't do anything. That's, that's the Pharisee kind of prayer. I just want to, and then you get, uh, and when you get in front of people and pray, it's almost like I, I've got to call on him a thousand times because I want to sound eloquent in front of everybody. Sometimes we pray publicly in front of people, and we want to look good when we pray, and it's not from the heart to the Father. Vain repetition. He said it doesn't get anywhere. Pray from your heart. Pray from your heart. Pray from your spirit. Not from your flesh, but from your spirit. Pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen. Hallelujah. We've got to be able, because we're called the church. We're called the church. We've got to be able to pray. God's coming back for a praying church. People don't even know what church means. Church means the called out ones. That's what the church means, ecclesia. The called out ones. We're called to be the praying church. Not the lukewarm church, not the spiteful church, not the judgmental church, the praying church. 
We're called to be the praying church, the called out ones. You see, Stephen was, was preaching before he was martyred for the gospel. He's preaching in Acts chapter 7. And he called the children of Israel in the tabernacle of Moses, he called them the church in the wilderness. That's the way a lot of the church is. We're the church in the wilderness. We're not the church of promise. We're an Ishmael church, forced by the flesh, praying in the flesh, uh, getting offended by everything through the flesh. And we're not praying, living by the Spirit, and being the church of promise of a seed of Isaac. Uh, are you with me? Are you with me? Just stick with me. We'll get there, okay? We'll get to this, the meat of this message, okay? The church of the wilderness. It is a people who complain and continuously go through cycles and emotions. You know what they did with the tabernacle Moses? The Bible says in Hebrews 8 and 5 that Moses patterned everything he saw in heaven and designed it in the tabernacle. This was supposed to be a 12-day journey that took 40 years to get through, okay? Because of constant complaining and murmuring and being offended all the time. And they stayed in the wilderness, and they would constantly set up, tear down, set up, tear down, set up, tear down. And they went through that for a while, and then King David came along. He said, well, God told him, said, you can't build a temple, he said, because you've shed much innocent blood. In other words, you can't build a place that houses the glory of God when you've got gossip in it, murdering with your tongue. Judgmental attitudes and self-righteousness. He said, you can't build a temple that way. David said, okay, I know I can't build a temple, but I'm going to take a tent. I'm going to set it up. And I'm going to have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible teaches us that he, had, that he sent the Levites and they carried it. And he danced mightily before the Lord. And what they, where they carried it to was the top of Jerusalem, which was called the White Jerusalem Stone. And when the sun shined, how many knows what the mercy seat looks like in the Ark of the Covenant? It's a big gold box. And see, Moses designed this furniture, had it designed after seeing the throne of God in heaven. He seen it was designed with two cherub or two angels on top because when he saw heaven in the throne of God, he saw angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord because there's non-stop worship in heaven. And so that's what it was designed and they were carrying the ark. See, when they originally, uh, when David originally wanted to move it, they carried it on a cart and a man touched the ark and he died because it wasn't meant to be carried through false religion. It was meant to be carried, or man-made religion. It was meant to be carried by a royal priesthood. Be carriers of the presence of God. So they took it to the top of the white Jerusalem stone. And when the sun would shine just right, he would pull the top of the tent back. And the, and the sun would cast a shadow on the wings of those angels on the mercy seat. And it would cast a shadow and he would kneel down in the shadow. Because the word says, he that dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. He said, I couldn't touch the ark, but I just want to get in his presence. We went from there to Solomon, who built a temple. The temple was so, was so beautiful, was so elegant, and God moved so mightily that he, the, that the glory of God came so thickly. After Solomon's intercession, the glory of God came so strong, the ministers couldn't stand to minister. But yet in due time, Solomon sinned. So we had a tabernacle of Moses. We had, we had David's tent. We had Solomon's temple. But yet there were still failures in each step in the Old Testament. It took somebody named Jesus. 
I said it took somebody named Jesus coming in the form of human flesh to become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. That he would say in John chapter 2 verse 19, destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. Because under the old covenant it was about a building, but in the new covenant it was about you becoming the temple. Under a new covenant, through the blood of Jesus, the ark of the covenant, we don't have to go looking all over Israel for it. The ark is within us. We are carriers of the glory of God because he is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the intercessor. And through the blood of Jesus, there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. The word says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus said, nobody took my life. I laid it down. I became the ultimate sacrifice and his word says he was wounded for my transgression he was bruised for my iniquity and chastisement of my peace is upon him and with his stripes we are healed he died and he resurrected so I can carry the glory of God inside of me it's more than going to a building it's more than building that building it's about being the church It's about being the temple. It's about being a royal priesthood. Carries the ark of God. We've got to be carriers of the presence of God. Is that okay? Hallelujah. So Jesus, all of this in the Old Testament, David's tent, Solomon's temple, it foreshadowed Jesus who was to come. Jesus Christ, he's the intercessor. When intercession allows you to fulfill the image of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a prophet. He died, and since his death and resurrection, he became priest. And when he returns again, he's coming back as king. Amen. But right now, he is priest. He is intercessor. He is a mediator. But before he ever went to the cross, John 17 speaks of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest. He is our high priest. He is our access to our heavenly father, to the throne of heaven. And in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, the Bible says he was already making intercession for us. And I want to read these verses of scripture. John 17, 23, 23 says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples. He was interceding for his disciples. There was a moment where he actually interceded for Peter. He, had Peter, he told him, he said, you're, he said, the enemy desires to have you and sift you as wheat, but your face failing not because I'm praying for you. You know, when you become the answer to Christ's intercession, you know you've got more for you than against you. When you know heaven's praying for you, you've got some confidence. John 17, 20 through 23, neither pray for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, and that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them and have loved me. What did Christ intercede for when he was on this earth before he went to the cross? For us today as believers, two things, that we may be one, maybe in unity. Ah. Maybe one, maybe in unity, just as the Father and the Son are in unity in one. And he said that the glory that you've given me, I give them. 
We are to be like Jesus. We're not equal with Jesus. We're not as Jesus. We are not Jesus, but we're to be like him. We're to reflect his nature. We are to reflect his image to the world. That's what he prayed for. That's why on the day of Pentecost, Acts 1 and 14, the Bible says that they were gathered together in the upper room and they were praying without ceasing. They were praying for 10 days. 500 people stood watching Jesus ascend to the Father. And the angel said, why do you stand here gazing? Why do you stand here watching? And 500 narrowed down after 10 days to 120 people. But when they were gathered in one accord with worship and intercession, Heaven came down. And when heaven came down, there were 120 people just like Jesus walking in Nazareth, walking in Capernaum, walking in Galilee. They stepped in Peter's shadow and they were healed. Look at a layman and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you. Preach the gospel, 3,000 being saved here, 5,000 being saved there, 8,000 being saved there. Why? Because they had an experience with with God because they went from worship to intercession that aligned with the worship and the intercession of heaven. We're about to talk about that, the worship and intercession of heaven. But here's what Jesus interceded for. He interceded that we would have the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not at work in our churches, we are not the answer to Christ's intercession. Is Christ really praying for us if we resist the Holy Spirit rather than welcoming him? Who's the Holy Spirit? It's the breath of God. It's the Spirit of God at work in this generation. People fear him, but I love him. I need his presence every single day. I need his presence. Jesus said this. He said, I'm sending you a comforter because I'm going to the Father. He said this. He said, greater work shall you do than I did because I go to the Father. John 14, 12. So let me, so let's understand this. Where are our greater works? Every five minutes, I told on a Wednesday night to our youth, every five minutes a Christian dies. Every five minutes a Christian is murdered. 200 million Christians right now are being threatened for the gospel. You know what the Church of America is like? They took my seat in church. They looked at me funny. They talked about me. Amen. It's always about us. It's not, it's not a self-denial Christianity that the American church is going after. It's a self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about looking good. It's all about appearing good. Where are the greater works? When's the last time you've been somewhere and raised the dead man back to life? Oh, no, that's Pastor Odie's job. And if he ain't doing it, then he's out of the will of God. We are called to be the church. Do you understand Stephen was the first Christian martyr? Do you know what he did? He was on the board of trustees for the early church. He was not, that's the word. He was assigned in Acts, I believe it's chapter 6, he was nominated of one of few people to designate and sort the funds of the early church and sort it out to give to the poor. And he died for preaching it. And the next one, Philip. 
Philip in Acts 8 was preaching the gospel. He was on that very same board. And he went and preached the gospel. It's not limited by someone that stands behind this pulpit. We're to live this gospel every day. We need to go in the store, in the mall, anywhere we go. We need to understand the ark is within us. We don't leave the ark here and go our way. We take the ark everywhere that we go. Hallelujah. Intercession. Intercession. I said earlier, Christ was our high priest, and because of that, we become the temple of God. Paul said, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies because you've been bought with a price. That price was paid at Calvary through the blood of Jesus. And we're part of a royal priesthood. That's what First Peter 2 and 9 says. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a peculiar people. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 through 25 says, we have a better testament, better than the old one. We got a new one. It's Jesus. He's the high priest, but we're part of that priesthood. What do priests do? They intercede. When a priest went into the Holy of Holies, when they went into the inner court, even in the outer court, every day the priests were offering offerings to God, burnt offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, grain offerings. It didn't matter. Constant intercession for the people of God. And we're still living under that old covenant because we go to someone else to pray for us. And we never pray for ourselves. You have authority in the kingdom of God. You are a chosen generation. Each of you are part of a royal priesthood. And if each of us would fulfill our role in the kingdom, then we would be at one whole, complete, united, healthy church. Jesus. Hallelujah. When Jesus resurrected, we're about to get into heaven now, in just the next few minutes. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, Okay, well, here's the thing. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. Last three words. He gave up the ghost. And where did Jesus go first? He went into the heart of the earth. Because when people died, and you've heard me talk about this before, when people died, their flesh went in the ground in the Old Testament, and their spirit and souls went into what was either hell, if they were lost, or if they were in sin, or if they were a part of the covenant of God, they went into paradise, which was located in the heart of the earth. Why did that happen? Because Lucifer sinned in heaven. Who is Lucifer? That's Satan. Satan was an archangel of God in heaven. He was a worship leader. Ezekiel chapter 28, the tablets and the pipes was in him. He was seen bearing the stones of God that were similar to the stones that the high priest wore every single day. And that was in reference to the children of Israel. So this is Lucifer. This is what Lucifer was, quote, unquote, the priest of heaven. He was the praise and worship leader of heaven. But he rose up in his own pride, in his own beauty, in his own ability. And the Bible says, I beheld Satan as lightning that fell from heaven. And the word says he sinned through much trafficking. And that word traffic there means he slandered the name of God. The Bible says that one third of the angels followed him in his rebellion against heaven. Sin was in heaven. That's why when people died originally, that's why they did not go to heaven. They went to the heart of the earth. When Abel died, first man to die, the Bible says the voice of his blood cried from the ground. They went into the earth. Their spirits and souls, because listen, your spirit and souls when you die don't go wandering around the earth. They go into eternity. They go into eternity. The Bible says in 1 Peter, I believe it's chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, the Bible teaches us that when Jesus died, he went and he preached to the spirits. That were in prison. 
I believe he said, hey, Abraham, I was that ram caught in that bush. Hey, Noah, I was that rainbow in the clouds. Hey, Isaiah, I was that one that you talked about that would be wounded, that would be bruised. He preached to the spirits that were in prison. Do you understand that in Jesus' resurrection, he wasn't the only one? Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 through 53. The saints of God rose from the grave. The graves were open, and the dead were seen walking up and down the streets. Talking about the walking dead becoming a reality. They were seen walking up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Wow, that's awesome. Because the Bible says they were the first fruits of them that slept. Because he went to heaven. And here's the thing. At his resurrection, they were walking down the streets because they wasn't ready to go to heaven. Yet Jesus had to go to heaven first before they could go to heaven. John chapter, I believe it's chapter 20. The Bible teaches us that Jesus appeared to Mary. Mary mistook him for a gardener because a gardener always wore white clothes. But Jesus wore those linen garments, Pastor, because it was time. The day of atonement had come. It was time to intercede. It was time to step in and purge the sin that was in heaven committed by Lucifer. And Mary came, Mary came and didn't understand, but Jesus said, it's me. And she went to touch him and he said, don't touch me yet. I've not yet ascended to my father. Because you don't mess with the high priest on the day of atonement. I've got to go to heaven first. But you read a few verses down later. The Bible says that when he appeared and Thomas missed the first meeting with the disciples, he came the second time. He said, Thomas, put your hands in my hands. Thrust your hand into my side. Why? Because Jesus had already been. That's why when you die as a believer, your body, yeah, it may go down in the ground, but your spirit and soul... You say, well, I believe they just stay on the ground. Stay. Your spirit and soul says, well, no, you don't. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. When we talk about, Pastor was quoting that scripture about the great catching away, the Bible says that Jesus comes. He's going to come with those who've slept. They, they're just asleep. God don't even see them as dead. They're just sleeping. It's time to wake them up. Because they're going to meet their body. See, your spirit and soul goes to heaven. But you, the reason why you meet this body again is because to give it a physical form. When Jesus resurrected and, he, and he, he resurrected from the dead, he had a physical form. But he didn't have physical limitations. Heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. And then he was walking through the doors. Walking through walls. He didn't have those limitations. And he said, listen, after his form, we too will be resurrected. That's something to think about. Change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Glory to God. Hallelujah. See, those Old Testament saints, they've experienced their resurrection, but we're going to experience our resurrection. Here's what the Word says. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Those that have died since the time of Christ's resurrection, their bodies are still in the earth, and their spirits and souls are in heaven. But at the sound of the trumpet, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be changed. From corruptible to incorruptible, from mortality to immortality, we shall be changed. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Eternal life. 
We're paying the price because we seek for eternal life in the presence of God. So what are they doing in heaven now? Their spirit and soul, they don't, they don't rest in the ground. They don't go in the heart of the earth. Now they go to heaven in the presence of God. Oh, heaven's a beautiful place, y'all. Heaven has become so real to me through my wife's papa's death and then through mamma passing away. Heaven's become more real to me. I know I'm just 27, but you know what? I still want to go to heaven. I still want to go. I still want to go to heaven. But here's the thing that they're doing in heaven. Number one, they're worshiping. They're going from worship to intercession. Isaiah 6 and 3, Isaiah saw in heaven angels, seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, 8 through 11, the Bible teaches us that there were these beasts, living creatures, four beasts, four living creatures. They don't sleep day or night, but they're around the throne. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, and they're, you know what? They're not alone. The Bible says there's a number which no man can number. Crying, hallelujah, Revelation chapter 19. Oh, glory to God, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 8. They're surrounding, praising and worshiping God. But you know what? They're not alone. There's 24 elders in heaven. Do you know who the elders are? We read that scripture, 24 elders crying, holy, holy. They have a harp in one hand and a bowl in the other. They have worship in one hand and intercession, the prayers of the saints. In the other... Now, Matt Petrie talked a little bit about that. I don't want to get into what he talked about. But here's what's awesome. The tw- why 24 elders? Because you have 12 sons of Jacob, and you have 12 disciples of Christ. You have an old covenant and a new covenant bridge through Jesus as the epicenter. Oh, hallelujah. Except for Judas Iscariot, his seat got replaced. By Matthias. But here's the thing. An old covenant and a new covenant bridge together. And every hour, casting their crowns. Holy. Worthy. Righteous. That's what's going on in heaven. Worship in one hand. Intercession in the other. Oh, Jesus. But they're not alone. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. If you can... Uh, Jacob, can you put that scripture up? Revelation 6, 9 through 11. I would be just a couple more minutes and I'll close. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar. Where are the saints that have been martyred for the gospel? Where are they, where are they at? They're underneath the altar. They were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Stop right there before you go to the next verse. Okay, I want you to catch something. Number one, the saints are underneath the altar. They're interceding. And what are they interceding for? They intercede and say, God, avenge our blood on the earth. Now, several things to catch. Number one, they knew what happened to them on this earth. You don't lose knowledge. Your spirit and soul go. Your soul is the seat of your thinking, your mindset. So you remember things that happen on the earth. It's not like your family forgets you when they pass away and go to heaven. You're known. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, we just see through a glass dimly right now. But there's coming a day where we're going to know everything in full. 
we're just limited in our knowledge right now. But when we're in the presence of God, we're in an epicenter of knowledge that's ever increased, never getting old. We don't forget about what happened here. The Bible says that when you get saved, in Luke 15, that they said there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons. You know what that tells me? It, it didn't say that just the angels were rejoicing. I was reading that scripture the other day. It wasn't just the angel. He said there's joy in heaven. That means there's saints. That means Mammal knew and saw Papa. Mammal was there. She saw it. Because when she went to heaven, what was the first thing she did? She get, began to intercede and say, God, save my husband. They're underneath the altar. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're praying. And Do you understand your family that's went on to heaven? They're praying for you right now. Jesus ain't alone in his intercession. There's people in heaven interceding for you right now. Besides Jesus. We've got heaven on our side. We've got more to reach out for than to hold on to. You are not alone. God is with you. The prayers of the saints, they're with you. You understand. The Bible says in Psalm 141 and 2 that the incense is like the prayers of the saints. It says incense before the throne of God. David said that. Revelation chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. The word says the angels of the Lord began to carry. Because that's what angels do. Angels are put on assignment through intercession. You have angels with you. But some of your angels are bored out of their minds. Because you don't put them to work. There's angels with you. There, there are ministers, angelos. That means ministers. Angels, when, after Jesus came out of temptation, angels came and ministered to him. They go back and forth to heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. And see, I always thought, man, that's the prayers of us going to, heaven, going to the throne. But no, I believe angels carry the prayers of the saints in heaven too to God. Back and forth, back and forth. The 24 elders bowls of the prayers of the saints. And you know what the Bible says? There's bold judgments that come on the earth because of the prayers of the saints. And can I give you this word? The wrath of God is not reserved for the ungodly. Wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. The wrath is not reserved for the godly, but for the ungodly. The wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Let me say that right, okay? So here's the thing. Whether we're here or we're going to heaven, either way, God's going to protect us from things. If we are the praying, believing church that we're called to be. Jesus. Wow. Is this okay? About to close. Just give me just a couple more minutes. Go to the next verse. Verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them, and they said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren would be killed as they would should be fulfilled. You remember me saying every five minutes a Christian dies. Every five minutes throughout this message, numerous Christians have died all over this world. And we are sitting in our lazy chair doing nothing for God. When is our worship and our intercession going to align with the worship and the intercession of heaven? You know what they're praying? God, let us go. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is up to us, Pastor. When God put Adam in the garden, when God put him in the garden, 
He put him to rule and to reign on this planet. But when he sinned, it took the second Adam to come to restore back to us our place of authority that we could become a priesthood. Why are we not interceding? Why are we not interceding for our region? Why are we not praying for our loved ones? Do we really know how close we are? He's coming, church. He's coming, and I don't want to miss him. Here's the thing in heaven. They transition from feasting to fellowship. Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says they're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're feasting. The Bible says when you go into heaven, you eat of the tree of life. Why? Because when you go into heaven, you eat of that tree because it signifies that you have eternal life. You're not eternally cursed, but you're eternally blessed. You'll, you'll, you'll know each other in heaven. You'll go from the judgment seat of Christ to a heavenly reward. Now, I want you to think about this. These are the rewards that you get. That, that we read in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 about the churches of Asia Minor that John overseen but they prophetically foreshadowed the rewards we receive in heaven. I want you to listen to this. He told the church of Ephesus, he said, you will eat of the tree of life that's located in the midst of the garden if you overcome and repent. Notice, overcome and repent. You repent. The way you overcome is through repentance. He, he told the church of Smyrna, if you will not be heard of the second death, you'll die in this flesh once. But you know what? You won't die again because you'll attain eternal life if you overcome. He told the church of Pergamos that if they overcome, they would eat of hidden manna, hidden knowledge, hidden wisdom. Give them a white stone, a new name, which no man knows saving him that receives it. He told, he told the church of Thyatira that if they overcome, they would have the power to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He told the church of Sardis, he said, I will clothe you in white raiment. And I will not blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. Jesus. He told the church of Philadelphia, he said, I will announce your name before all the angels of heaven. He said, I'll give you a, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will go no more out. I will write upon him the name of my God, the city of my God, which comes down upon he from heaven in my new name. He told the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, that if you would repent, if you would truly repent, he said, I will grant you a seat in my throne. Even as I've overcome and sat down with my father in his throne. Do you understand how beautiful heaven really is? Do you understand you're given a new name? You're walking down streets of gold. Flowing from the throne of God is a river of life, water so deep to swim in, trees of life on both sides of the river in the midst of the garden. Can you imagine a crown of life? Paul was getting ready to die for the gospel. And he said, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. James 1 and 12 says those that endure temptation, the same will receive a crown of life. Not one that is corruptible, but one that is incorruptible. That when you cross the finish line, you'll receive a heavenly reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Think about it. Think about what you'll receive in heaven. Made a pillar in his sight. Have a seat in the heavenly realm. That's awesome. And when we come back, see, we don't teach that a lot, and that confuses a lot of people, because we will come back to earth to rule and to reign with him. What the word says. Kings and priests of God. 
John 14, 1 through 3 said, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There where I am, there you may be also. Whether I get a crown or not, whether I got to eat of the tree or not or swim in the river, as long as I get around the throne and see the man who died for me. Oh, God. The Father sent His Son to die and resurrect so I could have this. Heaven bankrupted itself to die on the cross for me and I smack Him in the face because someone looked at me funny. Because someone talked about me. Because someone's, because I got a bad doctor's report. Listen, if God heals me, great. But if not, look where I go. If your only hope is in this life, you're of all men most miserable. But here's the thing. We don't have to wait to die in the flesh to go to heaven. We can die to the flesh now and have heaven on earth. I want his glory now. And I can walk in his blessing now. I can walk in his favor now. Glory to God. I can have his presence now. I can have the ark within me now. But I've got to go from worship to intercession. I want to ask Daniel to come to the piano and praise team if they would to come and make your way to the stage. I want to give you a chance to pray. When you've had a loved one passed away, especially if it's recently. Maybe this word's more surreal to you than others. But can I tell you, heaven is a beautiful place. It was like the day, I think it was the day after Pap died, I had to preach. And I was going to cancel, but they said, no, Pap would want you to preach. And I remember preaching, it's a beautiful life. Because, because when he saw heaven, that's all he could say. That's all he could say. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a dream. This is not a myth. This, my friend, is a reality. And I want to go and I want to see them. I want to see those saints that are praying for me right now that the will of God will be manifested on the earth. I want to see the disciples who are martyred for the gospel. I want to see them. I want to see that man named Jesus. I want to see him. I want to see my father. I want to harmonize with the angels of heaven. I want to be there. But I don't have to wait to die to get there. I can have heaven on earth. When you prayed and you gave your heart to Jesus at this altar or at an altar somewhere or wherever you made your altar, that was a moment you died to this life and eternal life really began. But if it's not begun in your life, today is a good day for a beginning. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of eternal life. No matter what you're facing, listen, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing, it pales to the joy of heaven. It is a beautiful life. It's a beautiful life. If you're not ready, make yourself ready.
if there's any doubt in your heart that you are not ready, get to this altar and get yourself ready. And how do you do it? It's very simple. Get the revelation of the love of God. Get it in your spirit. Not just God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, or God loves me not. No, get the revelation that he loves you. Ask him for forgiveness. Let his spirit come into your life and change you forever. You say, well, I am saved. But some of you are not bringing the kingdom of God on this earth in the spirit. Because worship precedes intercession. Intercession is not reserved for a pastor. Intercession is the calling of every believer. Jesus, he died and resurrected. He, he, when he died, he said, it's finished. He, he completed his work on earth. But when he resurrected and he went to the paradise and then he went to heaven, he's now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. Are we where we need to be with God? Are we the answer to that intercession? Would you stand all across this building? I want to give you a chance to pray. There's more that I could say, I guess, about heaven. You can never stop talking about heaven. I mean, it's just a bottomless pit of knowledge. You go from imperfection to perfection. You be, you're rewarded. You've got the presence of God. Heaven's a beautiful place. Heaven knows you. Heaven's praying for you. Are you going to let this get in your spirit today and become the answer to the prayers of heaven? And let me tell you this. Don't ride on the prayers of old saints. Get in this altar and pray now. Pray without ceasing because heaven is not stopping. Always worshiping. Never sleeping. See, our picture of heaven is, hey, I'm going to heaven because I'm just tired of suffering down here and I'm just going to limp my way through the pearly gates. That's our idea of heaven. That's a sorry excuse of my reason to go to heaven. I've got so much more besides pain, which is the curse that came upon this world through sin. There's so much more to go to heaven than that. He said, every tear shall wipe away, be wiped away from their eyes. That tells me that my Father in heaven is going to wipe away every tear. You, my friend, are important to God. Every devil in hell we would like to make you feel any different. Beat yourself up. Look down on yourself. But if Jesus came out of heaven and died and resurrected from the grave, you better be important. If God left heaven to come to earth, then I got news for you. You're important. He loves you. But you need the revelation of how much he loves you. When man was created on this planet, it was to be heaven in this realm. His ambassadors, that's what his representatives on this earth. And we sinned and we rebelled. But this Bible said it Wednesday night, it's a love story. This book is. 
Man sinned and fell and God came to our rescue. Are you saved? Are you sure? You're on your way to heaven. I want every head lifted up and every eye open. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. We're too timid in our Christian walk. So it's how I talk, teaching the kids Wednesday, talking about these saints being martyred, and yet we're afraid to stand up for Jesus at the table when five or six other people are talking bad about our God around the table. And we think we're going to die for him, and we're afraid to witness to our coworker. We must have lost our minds if we think we're going to die for him. Well, you must be crazy. You don't give to the poor, you only give to yourself. You're not ready for heaven. You're not ready. Scripture says that these saints overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony because they love not their lives even unto death. Their greater love was there. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is heaven in perspective? See, a lot of us are just waiting to die to go to heaven and we're doing nothing for God right now. That's a sorry excuse. I don't want to go before the judgment seat and God look at me and Jesus look at me. Where's those saints? Are you alone? Are you by yourself? I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. I want to take as many as I can with me. I want you to be there. Every face that I see in this room, I better see around the throne. I better see. No sin, nothing of this world is worth missing that place over. No lifestyle, no perversion, nothing, nothing. No gossip, nothing. Bitterness, not worth it. This is where you lay it down. Because when you come to this altar, you're painting the picture of heaven. When you say, God, I'm getting as low as I can underneath this altar. And I'm not going to let go. And I'm not going to stop praying till everything changes in my life. And heaven becomes more real to me today than ever before. Two questions I need to ask you. First and foremost, are you standing in this room and you're not sure if you're ready to go to heaven? You need to make sure you're ready. If you said today, Pastor Justin, I'm ready to lay my life down at this altar and make sure I'm ready for heaven. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand to heaven and say, that's me. That's me. I, I'm not sure, but today I'm going to make sure. Boldly. Hey, boldly. Hey, I, 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 you may come by yourself or with a friend or family. It doesn't matter. That's me. I'm ready to make, I'm ready to make a decision for Jesus. If you're sitting in this room, and you have failed to receive the call to prayer and intercession, and you're not praying like you should, if you're not praying the way you're supposed to be praying, I want you to raise your hand to heaven and say, God, forgive me. Would you raise your hand to heaven and say, I'm not praying like I've been supposed to be praying. I'm not, no. I'm not praying. Then if that's you, you need to get out of your seat, and you need to come to this altar and say, God, forgive me. Today is the day that I change. Today is the day that I change. Today's the day that I pray.
more information about Our Father's House or upcoming events, please log on to www.OurFathersHouseKY.org.